You're listening to On the Same Page, a podcast from the Jefferson Madison Regional Library. Welcome back to a new episode of On the Same Page, a podcast from the Jefferson Madison Regional Library System. I'm EJ, here with my co-host, Abby. That's right, I'm Abby. In today's episode, we're sharing how to grow, learn, and connect at all nine branches of JMRL. After that, EJ and I will be giving you a breakdown about how our 2023 reading resolutions are going. We'll tell you what we've read, what we liked, and what we haven't. After our reading resolution check-in, Abby and I will be presenting dueling selections for our next installment of Overbooked. As you all know, we have read and dissected three distinct stories in our previous Overbooked episodes. That's right. We started with The Glass Ocean, followed by All the Light We Cannot See, and finally we just had our mini Overbooked session all about Kate Chopin's story, The Story of an Hour. We are so excited to share our potential new books with you all. We'll close the episode with our latest book chats. But first, let's dive into what's going on at your local library locations these next few weeks. All are welcome to visit the Bookmobile. Monday through Thursday, the Bookmobile has scheduled stops in Albemarle County. Afternoon and evening, the Bookmobile visits its scheduled stops in Charlottesville. Central is now offering drop-in tech tutorials every Tuesday from 3 to 4 p.m. Assistance will be offered on a first-come, first-served basis. Crozet is hosting a special sushi-making demonstration on Monday, July 17th from 6.30 to 7, ages 14 and up. Please note the sushi rolls will not contain raw fish. Visit Gordon to meet the unsung heroes of our body that keep us alive. Join Captain Curiosity to explore the gross and ick that makes us tick on Wednesday, July 19th from 2 to 3 p.m. Green also has a special summer performance coming up in partnership with The Front Porch. On Thursday, July 20th at 2 p.m., stop by and be delighted by the musical and dancing offerings of Miss Lily Williams, who will perform songs and dances drawn from West African culture. Louisa is also offering a great show. On Tuesday, July 18th from 2 to 3 p.m., prepare to be amazed and amused by the juggling and magical stylings of Jonathan Austin. At Nelson, Tailwise presents Science Heroes Saving Earth Together on Tuesday, July 18th from 2 to 3 p.m. Join the adventure as two unlikely heroes work together to save their town from a super-polluting mastermind. At Northside, bring the kiddos and explore the land as influencing art. Join Aboriginal artists for fun explanations of how Australian Aboriginal people use art to express their relationship with the earth. Children ages 4 to 7 will have a chance to create with staff of Cluj Rue Museum. Registration is required. Scottsville hosts the Spinners Group on Fridays. Join them from 10 to noon to knit quilt, or crochet with like-minded crafters. As always, check the calendar to find out more information and to register. All right, listeners. Now here's how EJ and I are doing on our 2023 reading challenges. So here's a little bit about how I'm doing this year with reading. 
So far, I have read 16 books this year, so I'm really proud of myself because I think I'm on track to beat the number of books I read last year. Last year, I read 28. I will say that where I'm struggling a little bit is in my decades challenge. I had originally set out to read one book per decade for 12 decades. I've actually really not done well with that at all. I've read almost all new things. I've been reading more audiobooks or listening to more audiobooks, and I tend to find those just by browsing Libby. And when you browse, just like when you browse on the shelves and you tend to see the new books first, that's what I'm tending to see on Libby. But I will say that the the heart and soul of my challenge, of my decades challenge, once I really thought about it, was to connect with people, especially people that were older than myself, so that I could for example, read a book from the 90s. And that would be a book that my mom read when she was in her 20s, just like I'm in my 20s now. So I wanted to be able to connect with, you know, my mom or my grandma or friends of mine that are older. And I thought that would be really neat. So while I have not specifically done that yet, I have been able to connect with my mom more through reading. And that's something that I see as a success. And I'm happy has been incorporated into my reading life because EJ and I talk all the time about we read a book and then we want to talk about it with other people. And it's just such a lucky thing when you're able to talk about one of your favorite books with someone else. We wanted in this segment to talk about some of the favorite books that we've read this year. And the three best books that I've read this year by far are All the Light We Cannot See, which you can hear me talk about for ages on end through the podcast book club if you missed it. My next favorite book that I read this year was Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver. Absolutely loved that book and I did a book chat on it and then my mom read it after me so that was another instance of connection and then the book that I just finished that I would count as another one of my favorites was The Grapes of Wrath by John Steinbeck and that was a reread for me. I originally read that in high school and just absolutely loved rereading it. And again, it was another way to connect with my mom because she first introduced me to John Steinbeck. We read Of Mice and Men together. So we were able to kind of bond over that. Last year, I gave myself some interesting reading challenges for 2023. One makes some sense, like the Around the World Challenge, reading books you know, set in places that I've never been to because I've been lucky enough to travel a lot and I lived in Europe for a time. I'm doing okay with that challenge. I said 12 books set in places I've never been. I, according to my story graph and my reading notes, if I am fully up to date with them, I've read 15 books this year and out of those, at least five are set in places or have chapters or sections of the books that are set in places that I've never been. So that's pretty good. I said I wanted to read 12. I read 15 total. Five are I'm counting towards that challenge. I'm reading a nonfiction book right now. Actually, I'm reading a couple, um, but I just started one and I'm pretty excited. It's called Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran. And it's a nonfiction and it is set um, in Osage. 
um, Osage Nation, which is in Oklahoma, which I've never been to. So that will count for this challenge. It will also count towards my other challenge, which was read more nonfiction. And then my last challenge was read more non-traditional. My last challenge was read more non-traditionally structured books. And for that, I'm doing okay. I said at least 10 of those. And I challenged myself to read 40 books this year. I'm hoping I'll get to 50. I really want to get to that big 5-0 books. We'll see. I've kind of slowed down. Um, God of Endings, what I talk about in my book chat today, really slowed me down. Um, and I'll get to that in a minute. But my non-traditional structure is going okay. I already mentioned The Rewind, which I was in progress of reading when we recorded in December. I read a couple of others that have this structure where there's a new narrator per chapter. American Royalty by Tracy Livesay. To Have and To Hoax is another one that I just finished that is this way. And that's by Martha Waters. And also, I have finished George R. R. Martin's Fire and Blood, and I'm in the middle of Game of Thrones by George R. R. Martin. And each of those also change the narrator or the point of view of the story per chapter. Unfortunately, that's the only non-traditional structure I've done so far. I'm trying to read back through my list here of what I've already read. And oh, I need to do some better stuff. I have read an I read I read Inciting Joy by Ross Gay. And that's essays. So that's a different structure as well. But that's also not a novel. It's a nonfiction. So it's a little bit different. So I'm maybe not doing as well with this one. I really want to get a novella in there at some point, And I'm sure I will um, here pretty soon. And I really want to read an epistolary novel which is told in letters or emails, IMs, that kind of stuff, not in words and dialogue and things like that. So that's my basic check-in for my challenges. The best books I've read so far this year in 2023, I loved All the Light We Cannot See was really great. One of the best historical fiction books I've read. One of my favorite reads this year has been Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. The other two that um, I really enjoyed were The God of Endings by Jacqueline Holland, which was a really tough book to get through and really slowed down my pacing of my reading this year. And then another favorite that I've just recently finished was Death Comes to Marlowe by Robert Thorogood. This is the second book in a series called The Marlowe Murder Club, and it was just really good. I always like a good cozy mystery sequel with the same characters. It's just a fun time. It was a nice reset, and it really got me kicked back into reading. So that's where I'm at. That's my currently reading, what I've just finished, what I've liked. Have I read anything I don't like? I don't think so. Everything I've read this year, I've been following Abby's advice and just reading things that make me happy and bring me joy and are things that I want to read and not not falling into the trap of always wanting to complete a reading challenge for the sake of completing a reading challenge. And Abby and I have both talked about this. We both want to read things we like, 
But sometimes it's fun to read for book clubs or for work or things we have to read. But really, reading is important and you shouldn't be discouraged by books you don't like. So pick up stuff you like. And just to wrap up, I think that reading challenges stink. I, Abby and I have, <laughs> Abby and I have kind of talked about this and we were joking about whether or not we would put this in the podcast today. And these are our real, true, honest feelings about reading challenges. And we gave ourselves these reading challenges, but yeah, they're awful sometimes because you feel like you have to read books, but then it's like, well, who's, who's keeping you to this and it's only yourself? So if you're miserable reading things or like me, you have a really dark experience with the book and need a break, but then you feel awful that you're, you know, off your set pace for the year. So now I don't know if I'll make my reading challenge. It has pros and cons because it can introduce you to books you've never would have read before, which is the point of reading challenges is to expose yourself to new authors and new places and new writing styles. Do you have any more thoughts on that, Abby, on reading challenges? Well, I agree. And I really liked what you just said here, too. That's important to remind us all is that reading is so good for you in that it can keep your brain sharp. It's going to help you with long term memory and empathy skills. And it keeps you smart. It keeps you sharp. And so it's an important activity. And part of what makes reading important is, yes, challenging ourselves, exposing ourselves to other points of view, other types of characters, other types of writing styles. That helps you become a well-rounded person. But reading challenges are really hard because it's a daunting list of like, here's 25 things you have to do this year. If you're familiar with the Book Riot Read Harder Challenge, it looks so fun. It looks so cool. They give you suggestions for each one. It looks doable, but it's also like a lot right in front of you. So one fun way to get recommendations that are different and outside your comfort zone, you can always ask us as librarians. You can use our What Do I Read Next service. You can look at any of our staff created book lists that we have on our online catalog. You can just browse through the shelves. Honestly, just walking around through the stacks, you might see something, you might see a cover or a new author. So being open and receptive to new things is really important. Talking to other people and getting recommendations from people that you value is important. Sometimes reading challenges can just be a lot, especially for slow readers or reluctant readers or people who have trouble with reading. So I guess just be gentle with yourself. Yeah. So to recap, read what you want. Be gentle with your choices. It's okay to put books down. And listening to audiobooks always counts as reading. Don't let anyone tell you different. We hope you enjoyed our reading recommendations recap and how we really feel about reading challenges. And now to a very special segment, pitching our new overbooked selections. Today, EJ and I have each prepared two picks, and we will try to convince you and each other to vote for the next selection of our podcast book club, Overbooked. All right, here we go. My first pitch for you all, for listeners and for EJ, is 100 Ways to Go Zero Waste by Katherine Kellogg. I chose this book because Katherine Kellogg looks like a pretty authoritative 
author here on the subject, the founder of Going Zero Waste, which is a lifestyle website dedicated to helping others live a healthier and more sustainable life. She's a spokesperson for Plastic Free Living for National Geographic, Chief Sustainability Officer at The One Movement, and of course, she's the author of this book. It breaks eco-friendly, sustainable living down into an easy step-by-step process with lots of positivity and love. Now, I chose this book because we have not done any nonfiction for our overbooked book club, so I wanted to do a nonfiction title. I personally am interested in the whole zero waste, save the planet, all of that kind of idea. I've not taken any small baby steps towards zero waste, really. But I'm interested in it. I'm interested in just like, you know, taking care of the planet. So I thought this looked like a neat book where we could actually apply the concepts and the ideas that she lays out in the table of contents. It looks like she talks about everything from kitchen and cooking to cleaning to bathroom products to going to work and school, traveling, special events, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought, oh, we can try some of these out say how we're doing and how they feel on the podcast and we can discuss it. And that's my first pitch for you for an overbooked title. Thanks so much, Abby. I love going green. I'm very into this. My first pick is a fiction. It's a novel. It's a historical fiction or literary fiction. I think it's a healthy mix of both. It's called Matrix by Lauren Groff. Here is a short synopsis from Novelist. Passed out of the royal court, 17-year-old Marie de France, born the last in a long line of women warriors, is sent to England to be the new prioress of an impoverished abbey where she vows to chart a bold new course for the women she now leads and protects. I went about this task of picking potentially new overbooked titles from the stance of what's a book that's been popular in the past couple of years that some people may have already read and want to know more about and want to see dissected the way we've dissected the glass ocean and the way we've broken down all the light you cannot see. So I thought that it would be fun to do another historical fiction piece. They seem to work really well for our discussions. This one is complex, character-driven. It's mystical. It has some really rich detail. It's very lush and lyrical and stylistically complex, which I think leads to both of our reading styles. And it has a strong sense of place which is, I think, something we both gravitate towards when we like books. Plus, it's a totally different time period. So it would not be another World War II novel, which we know there are so many of. So the next book that I chose to pitch for you all as an idea for our next podcast book club is called Solutions and Other Problems by Ali Brosh. This is a nonfiction graphic memoir, so it's way outside the box, totally different, maybe a little bit too niche for the podcast, but we'll see. We'll see what people want. Now, I read her book, Hyperbole and a Half, in college, and I loved it. I loved it, loved it, still love it. 
it just was so relatable to me. I had gone through a depressive episode in high school, and it was just the perfect way to reflect back on that time. It was such a funny and sharp, so real and relatable story and images there. I just felt like I was nodding along the entire time. Now, Bill Gates called that book, Hyperbole and a Half, funny and smart as hell. I absolutely agree. She's got a really unique voice, super smart, as I said, and Ali Brosh can just capture complex emotions with really simple illustrations that are very fun. So then it was this big mystery because not only did she not publish anything for seven years, but she pretty much disappeared off the face of the earth. I mean, she got her start as a web comic person. That's really where she got her following before she wrote her book. She had this huge blog and webcomic and she would sometimes post multiple times per day and all of a sudden she just went silent. So what happened? Well, in 2020, she published this book, her second book, Solutions and Other Problems. And so I'm really excited to read it. Apparently, this book has humorous stories from Allie Brosh's childhood, the adventures of her very bad animals. There is a dissection of her own character flaws, essays on grief, loneliness, and powerlessness, and reflections on the absurdity of modern life. And then one quick quote from the Chicago Tribune. They say, in a culture that encourages people to carry mental illness as a secret burden, Brosh's bracing honesty is a gift. Spoiler alert, I absolutely will read it whether or not we do it on the podcast. So either way, I win. That's great. But I thought it would be fun to do on the podcast because it's a graphic novel, which would be really challenging to do in an audio format, but it might it might push us to do some more visual aspects of the podcast, like experiment with more YouTube videos or do some more social media stuff or somehow create some way to share and showcase with you some of the great art that's in this graphic memoir format. So yeah, that is my second pick. Lovely. My second pick is also nonfiction. It is Fuzz by Mary Roche. This is from Novelist. Join America's funniest science writer, Mary Roach, on an irresistible investigation into the unpredictable world where wildlife and humans meet. What's to be done about a jaywalking moose, a grizzly bear caught breaking and entering, a murderous tree? As New York Times bestselling author Mary Roach discovers, the answers are best found not in jurisprudence, but in science. The Curious Science of Human-Wildlife Conflict, a Discipline at the Crossroads of Human Behavior and Wildlife Biology. Obviously, this is a science book. It's about nature and society and culture and human relationship with wildlife. Mary Roach, if you haven't read her, is hilarious. Her writing is approachable and funny, but also meaningful and thought-provoking. It makes you think about things in ways that you hadn't probably thought about it because she presents things in a way you've probably never experienced before. I've never seen a jaywalking moose, but I bet I could learn something from it. Definitely never seen a grizzly bear breaking and entering, but I bet I would take some lessons away from that. So 
it's engaging, it's witty, it's fun. It's something very different than what we've read on Overbooked. We hope you connected with one of our picks and invite you all to tell us your thoughts by emailing us at podcast at jmrl.org. Also, check out our social feeds and vote on the next title soon. Our last segment of today's episode is book chat. It's been a while, so we are excited to share our latest book chats with you. For book chat today, I am discussing Never Let Me Go by Kazuo Ishiguro. So as children, Kathy, Ruth, and Tommy were students at Hailsham. It's an exclusive boarding school secluded in the English countryside. It was a place of cliques and rules, and teachers were constantly reminding them how special they were. Now, it's years later, and Kath is a young woman, Ruth and Tommy have re-entered her life. And for the first time, she's beginning to look back at their shared past and understand just what it was that made them so special. Here's what I thought. Honestly, I was disappointed by this book. I actually Googled this book, and one of the suggested Google questions was, what is the point of Never Let Me Go? And I agreed. I was like, yes, what was the point? Uh, Apparently, the point was to express the power of memory. Okay, but this was just way too much. The characters I felt were bland, somewhat pointless. There's this whole buildup throughout the story about recounting this important special story. Kath is the narrator, And she constantly jumps into the story and says things like, but now I want to talk to you about this. I won't get sidetracked here. I need to talk about this. Or it's important to say how it all began. And by the end of the book, I was just left feeling like none of it had been important. Like these were just the most banal, trivial memories ever. Like, had any of it even been important in the slightest? I think part of it is because the ultimate scheme of the book is just underwhelming. It's no secret that the scheme is that there's a cloning aspect here, but the tension is not broken open enough. It's described as dystopian, but it almost doesn't feel dystopian enough because there's not enough discomfort for me as the reader. It's all very surface level. One thing I wrote here in my notes is we don't get enough gory meat. And I can't even believe I'm saying this, that I'm asking for something to be gory. But I feel like this kind of book demands something specific. And I mean graphic, not in the terms of violent or scary. It doesn't have to be a shock factor, but graphic in the sense of visual or memorable. I think about a book like Feed by Anderson, and it's a cyberpunk dystopian young adult novel. It's super memorable. An entire world has been created, and it creates a lot of discomfort for the reader. It's memorable. There's language and texture and landscapes that's very unique to the book. And I feel like this book fails to create that unique factor. The main character, Kath, really has no arc. I didn't see a lot of change or growth in her. Honestly, I just recently finished it and I already can't really remember how it ends because there's nothing that needs to be resolved. 
I don't remember if it's like not a happy or sad or positive or negative ending because there's just no conflict throughout the book. Everything was just so neutral is I guess what I'm getting at here. So I was disappointed because some books can be neutral, but if you're going for like this dystopian novel, I just thought that the genre blending didn't really work. Maybe I'm missing something. This book chat is a bit of a downer, but I'm kind of proud of myself for giving this book chat because as you heard in my previous segment about my reading resolutions challenge of only reading what I like, this was an example of a time when I decided, all right, I'm going to finish this book. And it was not one that I ended up liking, but I'm proud of myself for finishing a book. Usually I encourage people to put books down, but in this case, that for me was outside my comfort zone. I'm not a finisher, so it was neat to finish something. Okay, so for my book chat today, I am talking about The God of Endings by Jacqueline Holland. This book was tough for me. It's a debut novel, and it really affected me in a way where I kind of went into a reading slump of sorts after I finished it. I felt continuously uneasy with dread throughout the whole listening experience, mostly because I was at times completely drawn in by the prose and what the story was trying to tell me. But I was also slightly freaked out (laughs) and nervous about what the writing was trying to explore. It felt like it the story, the writing, the author, they were trying to communicate a story to the reader, or in my case, the listener, but also create an atmosphere of total suspense and anguish. Because this book asks a lot of questions, and sometimes we don't get all of the answers. So to give a little synopsis about what This book is about the story focuses on Colette, who I would call a reluctant vampire. Her grandfather gifts, and I put that in air quotes, a very young Colette or Anya, as she was known at her birth, with the gift of immortality. But with that comes the anchor of also being a vampire. And having a thirst for blood, as we know vampires do. So this immortality is definitely at the center of the story. And it's also the part of the story that is Colette's undoing. There's some really interesting writing choices that this debut author made, including a jaunt into the Bronx with some artists who paint in blood, flashbacks to a hazy remembered World War II and Nazi-occupied France. And then, of course, underlying all of this is the ongoing threat of Colette's growing hunger and thirst for not just blood that would sustain her as a vampire, but also for a purpose. Colette is living in 1980s New York 
as a teacher who owns and runs a school where children are encouraged to pursue art and learn French. And um, it's written as kind of like an alternative school that well-to-do families send their children to. But she's also immortal. She also feeds on blood. She also (laughs) visits her neighbor's farm to suck blood from cows, which is something she learned to do in her youth in France. So yeah, there's a lot going on in this book. It's an interesting read, but for much of the book, Colette is plagued by this haunting feeling. And this is where I got the underlying sense of dread when listening. She's followed pretty much continuously after an event of her youth by the Slavic god of endings, Zhernabog. Now, Zhernabog hunts in the shadows and Colette senses something watching her. She knows things are happening to her and around her school and to those that she holds near, including a student that she is particularly drawn to. His name is Leo. She assumes a mother-like role to Leo based on what happens in his family. So she has things to protect, but she also is constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop, waiting for Zhernabog to show up, But she's also not sure who it is, what it is, or what she's feeling. As a listener, I continuously thought this was her hunger driving her. But really what I think it was, was the sense of longing to belong and to complete something in her life. She ran from a lot of things growing up as a vampire. So she's turned into a vampire as a very young girl and is saved that way, or so she's told by her grandfather. But she runs from her true self, her true vampire self, and separates herself from her own kind, even though her vampire family and grandfather send people to check on her. She wants to try to live her own life and always has done. But it's complex because she's drawn to this hunger, but also to this question of, am I doing enough to fulfill myself in this very long life that I have? This book is pretty long. It's almost 500 pages. And it chronicles about 150 years throughout her immortal life. And it goes through heartbreak and changes and adventures, you know, being on the run, death, grief, anger, fear. But it also dives deep into what it means to be alive. So it's a pretty heavy one. I had a lot of thoughts after reading this and really wanted other people to read it so that I could talk to them about it. But it also put me in a reading slump where I didn't read much after it. 
So if you are into vampires, if you're into debut novels, I definitely recommend giving this a shot. It's a little heavy at times, but it's thought provoking and worth it if you're willing to put in the time. Thank you, listeners, for being part of this podcast community. We're so happy to have you. We hope you'll join us in taking a moment to thank the friends of the library who generously support this endeavor. If you'd like to learn more or join the friends, you can head to their website at jmrlfriends.org. That's all for us today. We'll be back in two weeks with our next episode. Don't forget you can get involved on social media or by emailing us at podcast at jmrl.org. Thanks for tuning in. We're glad to be on the same page. Thank you.